to be seated. So as I mentioned uh, just a little bit earlier today, we are two churches gathered um, together to ordain uh, Luke Howard in his role as a chaplain. And so I just want to take um, a few brief minutes to explain to you what ordination is all about. And admittedly, this is going to be the boring part, okay? So I'll keep it short. And then Luke's going to come up and he's going to share a little bit of his story in the way that um, God has uniquely called him. Uh, so um, let me give you a definition. Um, ordination is the act of dedicating or commissioning someone into a ministry role. So churches often do this when they uh, call or appoint or select uh, a new pastor to serve the congregation. Sometimes groups of churches or denominations do this when they um, identify someone who goes through the preparation to become a minister or a pastor, which might include uh, discernment, some training, uh, oftentimes an education and seminary and experience. And essentially what is happening is a community of faith is recognizing uh, that God has called this person and gifted them to serve in this unique role. Now, um, in a sense, this is not all that different than what happens in other occupations in our culture. So if you want to be an accountant, uh, for starters, you need to demonstrate you're pretty good with numbers, right? You should have a specific skill set. And then you might get education um, in a college or university setting, maybe even a graduate degree. And then you get some experience. Uh, you might get some specific training. And then you actually have to pass an exam. You study for this exam and you take it and you pass it. And that gives you a CPA license, which is a formal recognition with an actual piece of paper and a certificate that you are now qualified, you are prepared, and you have been given the authority and responsibility of being an accountant. And it's the same if you want to be a master electrician, uh, an engineer, a nurse, a teacher, um, a real estate agent. So ordination or uh, commissioning, which is a term that we also often use is very similar to that. There's also a biblical and a historical precedent for this process. Um, In the Old Testament, uh, priests uh, were ordained to serve in the temple and to oversee the system of sacrifices in ancient Israel, and there were certain qualifications for becoming a priest. Um, In fact, there was even a process by which uh, the priest would be officially commissioned into that role. Um, By the way, this process required oil and blood and sacrifices. And to prepare for that, the priest, the the soon-to-be priest, actually had to take a razor and shave off all of the hair on their body or the head. Invite up Luke now. (laughs) Let's make this biblical, okay? Um, We're not going to do that, but... um, But it was an involved process, right? It was a serious calling. Uh, In the New Testament, leaders in the early church were also ordained or commissioned in this way. Those that served in pastoral roles or elder-like leadership roles were recognized by the church and um, commissioned with an official ceremony. Uh, Now, from time to time, there are individuals uh, who are called to serve in a pastoral role, but the pastoral role is actually outside the walls of the church. So there's an example of this in the New Testament in Acts 13. Um, I'll just summarize it. We won't actually turn there and read it. But there was a growing church in the city of Antioch at that time. In fact, it was uh, sort of the hub of the early Christian movement. This was the church where followers of Jesus were first actually called Christians. 
And there were a number of leaders in that church, and two of those leaders um, believed that God was calling them to begin traveling around the Roman Empire, planting and starting new churches, and then serving as a pastor or a shepherd to all of the other pastors and shepherds over those churches. These two men were named Barnabas and Saul. Saul later changed his name to Paul when he entered into this new ministry role. And so the church in Antioch gathered and they said, we want to commission you. We want to send you out. We want to support you in this unique calling. It's a part of our vision and our ministry, but it will be a calling that you live outside the walls of the church. And that's essentially what we're doing uh, with Luke today. Luke has been a part of New Denver Church uh, for a while. In fact, when he first started coming, um, he went by uh, his first name, Drew. And so um, not to be outdone by the Apostle Paul, he decided uh, to begin uh, going by uh, his middle name, Luke. And so um, we call him Luke now. But if every now and then you hear us say Drew, it's not two different people. It's the same uh, person. But Um, Luke uh, came and began working on our staff. He'll share a little bit about that in uh, in a few minutes. Uh, He was in Denver Seminary at the time, and um, it became clear uh, through his work and through his education and through what God was gifting and calling him to do um, that God was calling him to serve in a pastoral role as a chaplain outside the walls of the church. Um, Now, there's one more thing I want to mention, and then uh, Luke will come up. Um, As Luke pursued this calling to be a chaplain, uh, he connected with Roy Johnson, the pastor here at Cherry Creek Church. Um, New Denver and Cherry Creek uh, both meet in this building. And he also um, began connecting with and meeting with the leaders of the American Baptist denomination. Cherry Creek is part of the American Baptist uh, denomination. And in the world of chaplaincy, um, established denominations have always played a significant and important role in the process of recognition and ordination. So as uh, Luke um, got to know Roy and Cherry Creek and the American Baptist got to know him, um, we were all excited to together commission and ordain uh, Luke in this role. So that's why we're all gathered here today, and that's why we're doing this together. It's an opportunity for us to partner together in this, and that's really exciting to be a part of. So uh, that's some background. Now, I'm super excited for you to hear about who Luke is and what he has been called to do, not just so that we can then commission him, but because I believe that the work that he is doing is central to the work that God is doing in all of our lives. It is central to God's message of hope in our world. It is something that we all need whenever any one of us is facing difficult or or, or hard or painful circumstances in our lives. And I believe what Luke is doing is part of what it means to embody God's hope in a hurting world. Um, So he's been a huge encouragement and challenge uh, to me, and I'm excited uh, to invite him up. So come on up, Luke. Thanks, Gordon. Thank you all so much for being here today. Um, I know half of you I dragged in here myself, but the other half that came unsuspecting. Thanks. Um, It really means a lot to me to have a church community like this. And it means a lot to have a place that I can share my story like this and that it's valued and that my ministry is valued. Um, It might surprise you, but I really haven't had a great relationship with the church for a lot of my life. And so being here in a church 
in front of you all like this, uh, this is a huge surprise. And this is, it says a lot. Um, I was born into a very Christian family with a really strong faith. Um, I was actually born while my parents uh, and all three of my siblings, uh, one of which is here, thanks for being here, Cass, um, while they were in Germany doing missionary work. And so I was literally born into ministry. Um, we, a couple years after I was born, we moved to Texas, and my dad got his doctorate in New Testament Greek. So we had uh, a pretty well-educated faith growing up as well. Um, we learned a lot. We valued you know, the intellectual part of uh, Christianity. Asked a lot of questions. My dad had the answers to most of them. But the questions that didn't have answers, uh, they were still valued. It was still important to ask you know, some questions, even if you can't really come up with an answer. And so I started out with just a fantastic foundation. Um, I got to see great examples of what it looks like to live a Christian life for my parents and my siblings, and it, that formed a lot in me. Um, and early on, we had a little house church, and this became kind of my image of the church you know, that I really like. It was like 15 people. Everybody knew each other. You know, we all met at our house. Uh, there's no hiding. It was an incredibly like, intimate setting you know, with all these people, and it was really comfortable. Um, and so I went from you know, the smallest possible church you could have to, in middle school, uh, we went to a megachurch down in the Springs because we had just moved. And while I was going to the youth group there, this huge scandal happened, and the pastor of that church was fired, and a whole lot of stuff came out, and it was just thing after thing after thing, and it planted this seed of skepticism in my mind, and it got me wondering, what else is out there? What else is hidden that we just haven't found yet? What are leaders hiding? What are they doing? And through the next few years of my high school, that seed didn't really go away. It was still there. Uh, I was really blessed to have a fantastic community in high school as well. I was part of a really great youth group uh, where I met my wife, Jackie. Um, we, we had a great experience in youth group. I think the questions that I had were welcomed. Uh, my faith got deeper. I was, could wrestle with stuff. And I felt pretty valued. It was a, it was a really good experience. But I, the questions never went away. They've always been there. And then as things continued, I went to college. And I brought with me a lot of things that I think people that age bring. I had a lot of emotions. I had some anger that I carried with me. And I found that the campus ministry and then the churches that we went to, none of them really had room for us, um, for both Jackie and I. The questions that I had weren't seen as wrestling with the faith, but sometimes they were looked at as like a lack of faith. And people weren't comfortable with it. They were like, why are you asking? Don't Just don't ask that, you know? Um, the some of the feelings that I had, I didn't really even have words for, but the church, at least that we went to, they weren't good at accepting that and at making room for that. And so I felt very much like I was pushed out, like I was an outsider. For years, we tried going to a lot of churches. We went to small groups, we went to Sunday morning services, and it felt like everywhere we went, we just weren't welcome. There wasn't community. They didn't have room for us. They didn't want to hear what we were bringing in the door. And it continued to just sour my view of the church. And at the same time, uh, the community that I had was most of my friends who, you know, they're atheist and agnostic. And most of my friends throughout most of my life have not been Christian. And I had a great community with them. So I kind of thought, I'm good. You know, I got my people. I'm comfortable with them. They know me. So I don't really need the church. That's fine. And then this awkward thing happened where I started to feel this calling to ministry. 
but I didn't like the church. I'm all the way over here, outside of the church, and I had no idea what to do with it. Um, so I talked to our uh, former youth pastor from high school, and I asked him his advice. And he told me about his experience when he was in seminary, and he did a, um, like an internship as a chaplain student. And I had no idea what a chaplain was at that point. Um, and if you don't know what a chaplain is, that's probably a good thing, to be honest. Um, Unfortunately, chaplains don't meet with people usually in happy circumstances. It's usually on some of the hardest days of people's lives. And so if you haven't met a chaplain, that's good. I hope you never meet one other than me. Um, and so he told me a little bit about what chaplains do. And he said, well, they're, you know, they work in ministry, but they work outside the walls of the church. So I thought, cool, that's what I want. Uh, and he told me more about it. And he said, you know, they, they meet with people of all sorts of different beliefs, different religions, spiritualities, everything you can think of, you know, all the way from like a totally different religion to maybe somebody who just has a kind of Christianity that you don't think is real. So you got to be willing to meet with everybody. And I thought, all right, I can do that. I already do that. You know, that sounds good. And he kept telling me more details. And, you know, you, you sometimes you walk into these really tough situations and sometimes you don't know what to do and there's nothing to say. You just got to sit and the more he told me, the more I was like, yeah, I think I can actually do that. Like, that has a lot to do with my gifts. So I headed towards seminary, um, thinking I'm going to get in the chaplain program, still kind of only barely knowing what it is, but knowing, like, it fits hazily what I want to do. So I went to the orientation at Denver Seminary. We all sat down for a couple hours. We hear from professors and students, and everyone's telling us what seminary is going to be like and, you know, giving us inspirational speeches. And it was great. And then they're like, all right, everybody can go. So we all get up to leave. And they're like, unless you're in the chaplain program, and then you got to go over there for another orientation. It's like two more hours. I was like, what, is, what am I getting into? How come like, the counselors don't have to go or whatever? <laughs> so we go sit down with uh, the program director. Her name is Dr. Jan McCormick. She's awesome. And she told us a lot of the realities of the chaplain program. And she, part of it was kind of a warning, but a lot of it was, you know, you need to hear this because this is what you're getting into. So she said, if you're trying to support your whole family and this is the way you're going to do it, don't do it this way. Go somewhere else. Don't go to seminary. <laughs> and she said, you know, to be a chaplain, uh, you have to do a lot of years of preparation. It's not like even the other seminary degrees where you graduate seminary and you get a job. To be a chaplain, you've got to go through a minimum of three years of seminary, usually four, and then you've got to do a year of residency, and then you've got to do 2,000 hours after that, so like two more years of working, then you can apply for board certification, and then if you get that, you can work full-time. I was like, geez, how many years am I, like, I'm going to be like 65 before I'm ready to work, <laughs> but that didn't scare me off. She told me, she told all of us, you know, if you want to be a chaplain, uh, Think about, do you want to convert people? Do you want to tell them about Jesus? Do you want to preach the gospel? Then find another way to work, because chaplains don't do that. We don't bring Jesus into the room in that way. Uh, we meet people where they are. And so whatever spirituality you have, we step into that, and we find the sources of hope that you have. And we help you turn to things that are helpful for you and whatever's already there. We're not going to give you something new, especially in those vulnerable moments. That is the worst time to bring in something external and say, well, I have the answer. So she said, if you want to, you know, bring people into the church, great, go be a pastor, but don't, don't be a chaplain. She said, you got to be willing to step into really difficult situations and you can't 
turn around. You can't say, I don't want to help that person, or I don't, I don't know, I don't really like this thing. You got to figure it out. You got to learn what you need. And this is what the program, you know, will prepare. She told us, you know, we do a lot of internal work to figure out what are we bringing into the room? What's going to stop us from being a non-anxious presence? And then we do everything we can to grow and sort that out. But it's a vigorous process. You dig in a lot. You figure out everything. You pull up all the dirt under the rug and you figure out where it needs to go. And if, as you're hearing this, you think, like, wow, that sounds really difficult and terrible. Like, I was stoked. I was like, I can do this. Like, this is the stuff that I love to do. So she didn't warn me off. Um, I continued through seminary then, and I continued in the chaplain program. And I got to the point where I did my very first internship, and she placed me at Denver Health, which is the hospital I'm still at. And I had a blast. The very first unit, I mean, I learned so much and there were so many things that I, I couldn't have guessed I would have learned until I walked into the room and I was like, oh, this is what it's like. Because I learned that chaplains walk in with every hat we can possibly carry, all the roles you can think of. We walk in and we look at the patient and we say, basically, you know, we're thinking, what do you need? Do you see me as your pastor? Do you see me as a, a friend? Do you just need someone to sit here and validate that this is hard and just be a warm body next to you? Um, sometimes patients make it really easy. I mean, I walk in the room and they say, hey, preacher, come pray with us. I'm like, great, that's easy, check the box. And sometimes I walk in and they say, oh, I'm not religious. And maybe I don't talk to them that day. Maybe I say, I'm not religious most days either, you know? And some people have a lot of needs that have nothing to do with religion. In fact, most of what we do, maybe 5% of it is getting a Bible for someone, praying with them. A lot of it is processing, it's conversation, it's empathizing with what they're feeling, it's normalizing the feelings of grief. You know, when you first start feeling the anger and the denial and the sadness at the same time and you feel like you're losing your mind, then we're someone who comes in and says, yeah, I bet you're feeling all of these things and that's okay. That's what people feel here and we talk with them and we walk with them and a lot of times it has nothing to do with what religion they're from. And so as I learned what it means to be a chaplain, I felt more confirmed, and I thought, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And when I got hired at Denver Health, I was assigned to the emergency department and to the jail floor. So we have a jail floor that is designed specifically for incarcerated patients. Everything's locked down, a lot of security, deputies, and we serve patients who are either from prison or from jail or other circumstances, um, but we have all the facilities so that we're equipped to actually help them you know, at a high medical level. And I also work in the emergency department. Uh, we are a trauma level one hospital, which is the highest level of acuity, so we see everything. More than that, RED is known as the knife and gun club of Denver. So if you get bullet holes or stab wounds, come to us, we know what to do. And we see a lot of that. So there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the emergency department. And again, these sound like places where you're like, I don't wanna be there, that sounds hard. I love it, it is so much fun. And while there are extremely difficult days, I mean, we see a lot of really sad stuff. I also get to see people receive care who need it the absolute most. Uh, and I get to see professionals working extremely hard for people that they've never met, they probably don't know the name of, and they will probably never see again. And it is a beautiful thing. And so I found the more that I worked, especially in these two departments, which I've really found a home in, the things that God was preparing in me uh, all along, I mean, my ability to sit with anybody, whatever their beliefs are, 
serves me extremely well. I'm very comfortable in the hardest and the harshest emotions. You know, when people are feeling absolute rage or just despair, I'm comfortable sitting with them in that. Um, I'm really, really bad at chit-chat and surface-level talk, but I'm really good at sitting in these like, deep places with people. And I found that my willingness to be silent is, serves me very well. It's really hard to just be with people when they're hurting and not want to fix and not want to do something. And the role of a chaplain, especially in what I do, is so often just being and just being comfortable in that place, willing to be silent sometimes for hours with people because they just want someone to sit next to them. And so as I worked through seminary and I started getting close to starting my first unit, um, I started to kind of think about it. I was like, I need to, I need to figure out my way back into a church because it is really important for a chaplain for multiple reasons to be a part of a church and a community. Um, and so God already had a plan in mind and it was hilarious how it worked out. So a friend of mine used to work here on staff. Uh, his name was Matt Shin. Um, he, I, I made friends with him in seminary, and we were out fishing one time, and he told me, you know, hey, my church has this position open. It's like some tech stuff. I don't know. You do that, right? Like, would you want to apply? He had no idea what he was talking about. But uh, I applied for it because it was a lot of stuff I can do. And uh, I listened to some sermons from, you know, the podcast, and I heard Norton, and I heard uh, Stephen preach, and I thought, like, okay, I like New Denver, and if my friend Matt likes it, then, like, that's a good, that's a really good way in. And I was kind of, I was cooling down on the church. I was like, I think I'm ready to try again, you know? For years, we didn't have a community, and I still had that want for a community. So I interviewed, um, and I was super honest. I think I talked to Norton and Brian during my interview, and I was, I mean, I didn't smooth anything over. I was like, guys, I don't really like the church, which was funny, talking to pastors from a church, interviewing for a job at a church, but I was like, I don't know if I really want to do that. Um, and they called me a week later, and they were like, hey, we want to work with you. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was honest. Like, we'll see what happens. And so I started working at NDC, and since then I have felt continually pulled into community deeper and deeper. I have felt that I wasn't taken in to be fixed or to be healed. Uh, I was just taken in because they wanted me, and that was it. And more than that, I found a community in the congregation of other people who have had difficult experiences in the church or who have started to deconstruct parts of their faith, and I've realized this is a safe place to do it. And it's not something that's highlighted or celebrated, you know, at a way where uh, they're trying to get people to come for that. It's just that it's here. It's part of life. It's a normal thing. And that has felt so welcoming and so accepting here. I have felt... Uh, a home here at New Denver that I didn't think I would ever find. I really had no hope in the church. And the way that God lined it up, I think, really shows what he provides and how, how surprising he can be at times with his creativity. So I have a huge thank you for NDC, for the leadership, for giving me a chance and hiring me, and for the congregation, just for being you, being here, being welcoming and accepting I'm especially thankful for uh, Cherry Creek for working with NDC and partnering. Uh, I, it means a lot to me um, because then now my ordination is being uh, accepted by ABC, American Baptist, as well. So the way that everybody is working together and coming together is just, it, only God can do it. I could never possibly plan the logistics, uh, and it means so much to me. So thank you.
as Luke has talked about what he does and what God has called him to do, um, I just believe it's, it is a vision of what the church is supposed to be, uh, a healing presence uh, in the world um, that meets people wherever they are and welcomes them and says, let's be there for you. Um, so we are going to continue at New Denver and at Cherry Creek to look to you to help lead us to be the kind of churches that we want to be. Um, in our world. Uh, I want to now invite up, um, well, actually, let's do this first, and then I'm going to invite some other folks up. Uh, we have um, a reading that we're going to do together as uh, a whole um, group of people. So first, uh, I have um, a question I want to ask you about the role that you're entering into, and then uh, we want to affirm you. So we'll put this on the screen. In every age, God has called men and women to lead and serve his people and to do his work in the world. Uh, Luke, we have sensed the Holy Spirit leading us to ordain and commission you as a chaplain. How do you intend to serve as a chaplain? I will be a listener and a friend for the people God puts within my reach. I will serve the least of these as though they are my own brothers and sisters, and I will trust the Holy Spirit to lead me in this work as I care for his people. And now, um, as a community of faith, let's affirm this together. Let's say it out loud. As a community of faith, we affirm your calling and vocation. We commit to love, support, encourage, and pray for you as you embody God's presence in a hurting world. Um, and now uh, I want to invite up um, Roy, and um, he's a pastor at Cherry Creek uh, Church and other leaders uh, of the Cherry Creek Church Council, as well as uh, pastors at New Denver and any current elders who are here. So why don't you guys come up? Um, and Jackie, you can come up as well. Um, and we want to pray for you guys. So why don't you guys uh, stand in the center and we're going to lay uh, hands upon them. This is an ancient custom uh, that was done with Barnabas and Saul, even in the early church, laying on of hands um, is just a symbol and a sign of our blessing and affirmation upon uh, them. And so um, Roy is going to uh, pray for Luke and then on behalf of Cherry Creek Congregation and then Emily Schultz is going to pray for um, them on behalf of New Denver. Heavenly Father, we come and we're seeking not just your blessing, but we add our blessing and pray that you will use Luke more than you have, that you will fulfill all of the preparation that you've been working on him throughout his life, that he's aware of now. We pray that you not only use him, but that as he continues to serve your kingdom, your will, that you will make him more useful as he touches those that the rest of us won't come in contact with, that he work your work in this world until you eventually make this world perfect. We pray that you'll pass on those that are future unknowns that he hasn't met and may only meet once. And yet you know them, and we pray that you reach through time and space to prepare them for that meeting. Prepare him to have the words, to know when not to use extra words, to do those things that are difficult. We ask that you'll 
give your blessing, work your will, and at times, as with the rest of us, whether he wants it or not, for the good of your work, for the continuance of the kingdom that Jesus started. God, I thank you so much for Luke and for Jackie. I thank you for the work that he's already doing. It is so obviously your work, God. He gets to interact with the immigrants, the refugees, the homeless, incarcerated, victims of crimes, and staff uh, who are caring for these people at Denver Health. These are all people who you love and you value, and he has the opportunity to sit with them, grieve with them, point them to truth, point them to hope, just be there with them. God, so much in life is muddy or gray or confusing, and, and yet your gifts and your calling in Luke's life are so clear. Hearing him speak, it is so clear that you are at work, that you are at work in him, and you are at work through him. So I pray for your continued blessing, that you would deepen his roots in community, deepen his faith more and more throughout his life, and that you will sustain him in this ministry, in this career for a lifetime, a job that can be really hard and really taxing. I thank you for the passion and the fire that you've given him to do your work in this way. I pray that you continue that work. And I pray for Jackie as well, that you continue to bind them closer and closer together, strengthen their marriage every step of the way, and let their lives continue to be honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I want to invite up Steve Van Ostrin now, and um, why don't you stay up here, Luke. Uh, Steve is Executive Director of American Baptist Churches of Rocky Mountain, so I'll let you share on behalf of American Baptists on Cherry Creek. So my name is Steve Van Ostrin. I am the executive minister, and that is, uh, my, my job is, is kind of what uh, bishops do in, in other denominations, you know, so, and, and, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on the, the symbol of, 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 uh, uh, of the bishop's office, you know, the, the, the bishopric, even though I don't get called bishop all that often, the other part of the name sometimes works, um, but, but uh, <laughs> at least you got it. <laughs> Uh, we want to present a gift to you. Now, in the Baptist tradition, ordination is always done by the local church. You see, we believe in not just the autonomy of the local church, but soul consciousness. And the reason we're a Baptist is because you as a body discern what it is that God is calling you to do in this place. And some guy like me who lives down there and has people over there, and I don't know what God is calling you to do specifically here. God has gifted you to do that. And when it comes to seeing whether somebody is being called by God to serve in a special way, I might have a sense of that, but the people who really know that person, the people who really understand that person, the people who can really affirm for that person that God is indeed calling them is the local church. 
And so what you've done today is very, very important in, 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 Luke's, in, in Luke's life, that you've said to him, we see God calling you. But here's the thing. As time went on, as the movement went on, one church said to another church, hey, you know what? We really, we need to help train this guy up. And, and, and could we cooperate in ministry together? And the, and the other church said, well, you know what? We really need some ministers over here. Could, do you have somebody that you're training up? And so associations were formed. And, and it got to the point where, well, you know, we're going to trade pastors. But do, how do we know this pastor that, that, that you're, you're sending to? How do we know they're really qualified? And so associations began to recognize the ordination of a pastor. And so we have gone through the process of recognition for, 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 for Luke, for Drew, whoever you are. <laughs> and and we, it involves a couple of different things. Number one, Luke had to say, you know what, I think God is calling me to this position. And then the church had to say, you know what, we believe God has called him to this type of position. And then we say, well, okay, what kind of preparation have you done? And so we looked at his, his transcripts. He's a pretty, pretty smart guy. Uh, and we looked, looked at some of that stuff. And then we had a couple of meetings with him. And the first one was to say, uh, to hear him talk about, you know, how is God calling you to ministry? And that first meeting, and I got to tell you, for our committee that has heard, you know, lots and lots of different people have gone through ministry. It was a blessing to hear his call. There was no question in his mind to hear that the depth of his, his, his seeking God. And so it was a powerful time. And then we had them write a, a, a paper about what they believe about God, the important part, at this time. We're not looking for the pat answers. We're not looking for the Nicene Creed or, or, or because, you know, we're, as Baptists, we also believe that we're, we're non-creedal. You know, we, the creeds are important. They're testimonies of faith. But you know what? God, God shows us himself in different ways at different times. And so our committee fell in love with this guy. And, and with, with one abstention... No, that, uh, that we fell in love with this guy, and, and we affirmed uh, his call and, and recognition. And so we want to present you this gift, and it is a gift that, that is maybe a little non-Baptist, uh, depending on what part, type of Baptist you are. You know, as, as Baptists, a lot of times we're non-liturgical. You know what that means? Liturgy is the work of the, of the church, and, and, and oftentimes it involves, you know, smells and bells and all that good stuff, you know, this, this kind of stuff. But we, we have come uh, created this, this process or this, this gift that we want to give to you as a part of it that's a little bit liturgical, and it is a stole we want to present to you. Now, when I think of a stole, one of the reasons that this is a gift that we give, I think of the towel that Jesus used on the night uh, that, that, uh, that he was betrayed, and he washed the feet of the disciples. And you remember what he said at the end of that? What you've seen me do unto you, do unto others. So we want to present you this stole as a reminder that you're called to... Done? I'm not done yet. <laughs> you're like a little kid at Christmas. Huh? I can't wait. <laughs> uh, we want to present you this stole as a reminder that you're called to serve others, to wash the feet of others. And we know that you're going to do that well. But this is a... It's, it's, it's even more than that. You know, it's even more than that. Because 
any of you raised in a Catholic church or a Lutheran church or, you know, you know what the different colors are, don't you? At different times of the year. You see, there are different seasons in the church. We're entering into a very important season, the season of Advent. And, and the church, if you go to a liturgical church, they have different colors. They have blue or they have purple or, or, or on Christmas Day, they have white. On Easter Day, they have white. On, during Lent, it's purple because you're supposed to be repentant. But during most of the year, it's green. It's called ordinary time. And you see, it's very easy to remember to serve people in those special times of the year. Yet the Salvation Army knows that. That's why they don't have uh, uh, people out in front of the stores, you know, during July. But during those special times, it's easy to serve. But you're called not to serve just in the easy times. You're called to serve in the ordinary times. So we're giving you a, a green stole. But it's not just any stole. This stole was was woven by peop by Christians in Thailand who were some of the first people that, that the uh, Baptist missionaries reached in Burma, the Lahu tribe. And along with it is we've, we've embroidered the logo of the American Baptist churches. And what we're trying to tell you by that is when you serve, you're not doing this alone. There are people all around the world who are doing this with you. So on behalf of the American Baptist Churches of the Rocky Mountains, on behalf of Cherry Creek and the other churches of the American Baptist Churches, we want to present this stole. And as you go and minister to the people that you will serve in your career, know that we go with you in prayer, in support, in any other way possible. God bless you as God has called you to serve. Thank you, Steve. Thank you.